Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Axel Merck, President and CIO of Merck Investments. Thanks for joining me today, Axel. Great to be with you, Galen. Let's dive right in, because I've got quite a few things I want to ask you. We've seen another period of sustained low volatility in FX. Do you think that this will continue to be the case going forward, let's say, between now and the end of the year? Well, let me give you a few answers. The obvious one is one I'm sure you've heard before, that the risk is buffered by the Fed's action, central act, bank action around the world. With all the QE and the forward guidance, it takes perceived risk out of the market. Also, the guidance for the rather slow withdrawals that should keep volatility contained. Now, that said, obviously, lots of things can, can increase volatility as we're talking. The risk has been off a little bit in the market. I am more concerned about kind of structural changes in the market that might set us up for substantially high volatility with very little of any notice, and that we can go into those. And then also, sometimes when uh, the, the market options market makers are positioned in certain ways, it could lead to increased volatility, but we haven't seen that much at all. And so the biggest theme is that, that yes, the, the central banks are, are trying to keep us all calm. I want to pick up on that point, actually. The structural changes you mentioned, which could cause a spike in volatility, what specifically are you thinking of there? Well, in the pre dot frank days, big banks used to provide liquidity when they're going up top. Today's liquidity providers are algorithmic traders, market makers, and whatnot. And uh, when the going gets tough and something happens, they take a step back and say, hey, what's happening? And so that liquidity can be at times just be skin deep. Everything works fantastically until there's a glitch. And if there's a glitch, those folks have no obligation to anybody other than to their own book. And they say, hey, I don't need to deal with this. And so that's how liquidity can, be, can dry up very, very quickly. And uh, it will happen when people least expect it. But uh, we see that in the ETF market when some of the main market makers are stepping away, but we see that in the, in the FX markets as well, where suddenly liquidity can just evaporate. We haven't seen much of that, but it's a risk out there that in, in my view, people don't appreciate sufficiently. So I've had this conversation with people before where, you know, one of the questions when I was a journalist, I felt that I was forever asking people is, what is liquidity like at the moment? Is it better or worse than it used to be? And one of the, the frequent answers I got was, it's just different, right? So if you're talking top of book, kind of small size, there's more liquidity than there's ever been. But in stress conditions, or if you're trying to get size done, it's a lot harder than it was. Do you subscribe to that view? Yes. Although in the stress conditions, certainly, um, size is not necessarily, but quite possibly an issue. Yes. Okay. With that, it'll qualify. Yes. And so one of the big stories in financial markets at the moment is inflation. There's lots of talk about inflation. People are getting nervous, in part because of the amount of stimulus that's been pumped into economies all over. I was reading today, I think, or yesterday, that consumer prices rose 5.3% in the US for the year ended August. So my question for you is a two-parter. Do you think authorities in the US and elsewhere are going to be able to tame inflation? And what does the specter of inflation mean for currency markets? Well, 
how, how many hours do we have? Because this is a <laughs> question. So let me give you lots of short answers here. Okay. The first one is that in general, fiscal policy may matter more to inflation than monetary policy does. And so a lot of the fiscal spending and policies that induce the lowest consumer to suddenly have more money could be inflationary. And uh, we're going to have actually some fiscal drag, believe it or not, because this massive spending is reduced a little bit that we have. But still, there's still a substantial amount out there. So there, there is a risk. But then the other one is when you have parts of the economy throttled and part of it boosted, meaning you throttle production in Asian countries because of COVID, at the same time you could consumers money, that is the very definition of an inflationary process. Now, many people are pointing out it's quote-unquote transitory, but nobody knows, right? Because we have a Delta variant, we might get the next variant. And so we have a process here that could last for a long time. And shrugging it off entirely is a bit dangerous. Now, I'm most concerned of the tail end of what the Federal Reserve is proposing, which means they'll have the pedal to the metal until we reach maximum employment. Not going to neutral, but full speed ahead. To me, that's reckless and dangerous, and it's going to cause very volatile policy down the road because it all certainly has to have a has inflationary outcome. This entire new concept of average inflation by looking backwards is completely idiotic because any policy ought to be forward-looking, not backward-looking, and you're creating instability in the system in doing it. Now, all that said, we do have the demographic drivers that suggest that credit demand is going to be less, and that goes back to the fiscal side, right? And so there might be a force that creates less inflation. Overall, though, net-net, yes, inflation is a concern. The situation is different from 10 years ago. Now, in the context of currency markets, I think the, the most relevant aspect is that not all central banks act the same way, treat this the same way. And we have a few central banks that have rate hikes priced in, some of them several rate hikes. And so that's going to create uh, more divergence, more dynamics, and, and maybe some more fun for the FX trader. Um, but and so there, there will be an implication for that in the short term. Uh, and FX professionals are well aware of that, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning that typically when inflation numbers are higher than expected, a currency rises. And, and many people, you've said to your former journalist, right, says, well, why the heck is that happening? Inflation is going up. Why does the currency get stronger? Well, it does because the market prices in immediately that the central bank will do the right thing. And then it takes several weeks or months to realize, oh, no, the central bank is not doing the right thing. And so that's why these things, there isn't a one-to-one relationship when these expectations change or when numbers come in differently from what is expected. Yeah, your comments about transitory inflation what made me uh, chuckle a bit. I saw a wonderful Wall Street Journal headline earlier today, which was, uh, transitory inflation can be a lasting affair. So I think I agree with you that, that no one really has a clue what's going to happen uh, there with that one. And neither are central bank firms, right? I mean, they are there just as much. By playing it down, they are risking damaging their credibility. And the reason why that's relevant, people are questioning, well, what the heck does it matter whether they're right or wrong because they got the bazooka? Well, they got the bazooka, but the cheapest Fed policy is one where a Fed official utters a few words. It's more expensive to change rates. It's more expensive to engage in QE. And so a central bank, they have an unlimited checkbook. But when credibility gets damaged, the action has to be more forceful, which creates more instability in the market. And that's why it is very relevant to the markets, including the FX markets, that central bankers, quote unquote, behave. 
And yeah. uh, when they don't go back from their esoteric policies, I think that creates long-term issues in the markets. Uh, you mentioned QE there. There's been a lot of talk as well to see if the Fed will shrink its bond buying program before the end of the year. Do you think that they will? And, and what are the implications of that for financial markets? Well, I think the Fed has signaled that, uh, as several of the Fed have said, this QE is useless at this stage. I happen to agree with that. But they have signaled they'll, they'll phase out the additional purchases. I don't think that any rush to reduce the size of the balance sheet. Um, they regretted it last time they did it. The folks, several at the Fed, think there's no problem having such a large, large balance sheet. Uh, they can do the reverse repos and this and that. And of course, technically, it's able to. I'm more in a campaign. Let's go back to basics. But it doesn't really matter what I think. The folks at the Fed think they can handle this. And so there's no rush to do it. Depends on uh, how the, the current turmoil, as we're talking, emanating from China, um, is it, carrying out. That could hold them back a little bit. But generally speaking, they want to phase out the additional purchases because they realize there isn't much sense in it. They're just so petrified that there could be a paper tantrum that they want to make absolutely sure that they do this as boringly as possible. Yeah, I was going to bring up the, uh, the paper tantrum uh, example from, I think it was 2013, right? Well, we've, we've had uh, in 2018, we have something as well. Yes, I mean, yeah. there's, uh, yes, we've had a few hiccups <laughs> in the markets. And, 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 and of course, I mean, the thing is that the fact that the Fed is concerned about it means there is something we should be concerned about because the market should be able to stomach a change in Fed policy, right? We have taken perceived risk out of the market. I, I keep mentioning the word perceived because that's what monetary policy does. It doesn't make the market less risky. It takes the perception of risk out of the market. It makes junk companies look less risky. And obviously, as people then pile into these, you're increasing risk. You're not taking it out. And the more you push yourself into that corner, uh, the more difficult it is to get out of that. One thing I have said since 2008 is that the best short-term policy may be good long-term policy. And I still believe that now, Christine Lagarde, head of the ECB, a few weeks ago, kind of said the opposite. He said, we cannot worry about the long term. We have to worry about the short term issues. I could not disagree more. The best way to deal with a crisis is to have an institutional process. I mean, in the U.S., we have bank failures all the time, but we have an FDIC process that handles the resolution. So having a process is what's important if you're a policymaker. And central bankers have lost sight of that and trying to just uh, patch up a crisis that comes, that comes along. Switching gears slightly, the other big kind of headline story, I would say, this summer and in recent months has been that there seems to be a crackdown happening on big tech in China. Given the growing prominence of you know, these large Chinese tech firms, whether it's ByteDance or Alibaba or whatever, do you think that this is significant globally? Well, the way I look at it in the context of talking about ethics, ultimately, in, in some ways, I believe that ever since the spring of 2020, we are in a reflationary environment, right? We, we are post-COVID. We're desperately trying to reflate the world, opening the world up again with hiccups. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, the crackdown we have in China, be that with a crackdown big tech or gaming or allowing over-levered real estate companies to fail, those are kind of a counter trend to that. And historically, when there are warning signals on growth out of China, well, that has ripple effects in the rest of the world. And so then the question is, do we counter that with more money printing, with more fiscal policy and whatnot? And so the question really is, is there a fallout from any of this? And uh, 
With regard to big tech, I don't think there's going to be necessarily a global fallout. They might be less profitable, these companies. They might have to be up. They, uh, but they, there is the inertia of the Chinese consumer, and, and maybe the money will find different ways. And uh, sure, maybe the gaming companies aren't so happy if they can't gamble as much anymore. The bigger risk is, of course, when you have large real estate companies fail, then you have that potential for contagion. And uh, the good news is that the Chinese can pretty much patch up whatever they want. Uh, the bad news is they might be overconfident in their ability to do that. It's much easier to bail out one large company than 150 banks that suffer as a consequence of the failure of that one company. And we saw that in the U.S., and so that really needs to be seen how that plays out and what the ripple effects are. So it's kind of in that bucket of known risk events. But as we are talking, markets are behaving very rationally, very normally. Um, even if we're talking on a risk off day, the market does not seem to be too concerned about this. One thing I'm interested to get your view on is emerging markets and particularly emerging markets economies. So you've obviously got the prospect of a US interest rate hike. You've got continued US-China geopolitical tensions in the region, potentially slower vaccine rollouts in, in some of these countries. So broadly speaking, emerging markets as a block, are you confident about how their economies and currencies are going to perform, or is, is it going to be a tough period? Well, in the medium term, right? The question what medium term is, I'm very positive. And the reason I'm very positive is because we are in this global reflationary cycle. While there are still significant challenges, the vaccine rollout of good vaccines will happen in that region. That region will come back online, will grow. Expansionary fiscal policies will persist. Expansionary monetary policies will persist. And so all of that suggests that we have a reflationary world and with everything that comes with it on the FX side, that it should be downward pressure on the dollar and upward pressure on those currencies. Now, does that mean there could be some curveball there because we have a severe risk-off environment in between? Well, absolutely, that's possible. But in the medium term, I am positive on these emerging markets, even as there are setbacks, uh, including that China might have a clampdown on, on some industries that would be helpful otherwise for, for the growth scenario. And one final question that I wanted to put to you, which I'm very interested to hear your response to, which is, as you look across the world today, if you're thinking about what risks there are on the market, specifically in the FX market, people will rattle off the things, some of the things I've just talked about, inflation, geopolitical tensions, rates, etc. From your perspective, is there anything you see right now that you think that perhaps the FX market isn't pricing the risk in adequately? Well, the, the risk that wasn't priced in what happened in March uh, a year ago when we had this meltdown where some currencies moved as if the wheels had come off because the wheels had come off, right? <laughs> And I don't think we've had gotten a fix to that yet. Now, am I suggesting that's going to happen tomorrow? No, because I don't see anything that would cause the same thing. But there is a deep structural issue that hasn't been addressed. And some folks at the Fed are at least aware of it, but I'm not aware of them doing something about it. Um, the increase, I, I think they have uh, some people look into that. So that's one thing I'm concerned about. Otherwise, um, uh, sure, I mean, we've had risk assets do incredibly well for an extended period. But that doesn't mean there's going to be dislocation, right? And the beauty about the FX markets is you can always have the bull market always somewhere type of thing, right? <laughs> uh, we've had overall volumes in, in FX markets be disappointingly low. They might pick up with a greater divergence in rates. But part of the reason, I think, why volume has been low in these markets 
is because of this very heavy-handed intervention of, of central bankers because it, it reduces the factors that are relevant. And that kind of makes various strategies, renders them less profitable. And then you have the intervention risk, of course, on top of that, that you could get whacked, so to speak. And so it, it creates different sort of strategies that are successful or potentially successful. And so if we get a greater divergence in rates, that might get more interest into the FX markets with more diverse set of rules and players, so to speak. But as far as what I'm concerned about is, you know, it's always liquidity that I'm concerned about. Is the liquidity that we see, the, the real liquidity, or is, is that going to evaporate? And, uh, and the question is what could be causing it to evaporate. And when you talk about strategies there responding to divergent interest rate policies, are you thinking about like carry trade, for example? Well, anything, right? I mean, there are, there are many things you can do, but uh, yes, even traditional carry trade strategies or momentum strategies, uh, any sort of directional or mean reversion strategies, and many of them haven't worked quite as much. More broadly, kind of to what I'm concerned about, if you look at the market in the short term, I think the market prices in their various geopolitical events, uh, elections and whatnot coming in, seems very properly priced, but longer term out um, in the FX market, I, there's very little risk that's priced into anything. And that's somewhat normal in today's environment. But then again, shocks do happen, right? And so we don't know what they will be. But if you mention carry trade, right? Once the carry trade comes back into fashion, people gear up on it. And then something rolls up. Uh, and so the question is, the question is how level people will get before they're taught a lesson. And so for the time being, that seems all quiet on the Western front, so to speak. And on that note, we'll go quiet on this front as well. Axel, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed our chat. Yeah, my pleasure. And to all our listeners, please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T Podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.